Welcome to I Need Some Air. Bending. A last airbender fan cast from someone who's seen the show before. And someone who has not. I'm Landon Ferguson. And I'm Michael Williams. In this episode, we see a set of vignettes about each of the main characters' adventures in Ba Sing Se. Katara and Toph have a girl's day out. Iroh helps people in town before celebrating his son's birthday. Aang helps a zookeeper build a new zoo. Sokka accidentally ends up in a poetry club. Zuko goes out on a date. And Momo searches for Appa. So what are your thoughts on this episode's... Uh, story structure. I wouldn't say it's unique, but it is very rare to see a structure of short stories exploring so many characters. Well, I wouldn't say it's unique, but I, it's a first for the show. Mm-hmm. Especially after the last couple episodes, which were all pretty dark and plot-heavy. So to have this episode, it's a bit of a lighter tone and a different structure, I think it fits pretty well. It's a it's a nice contrast to the episodes we've had before this. Mm-hmm. So overall, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I will correct you on one thing. I'd say only about half the episode is a lighter tone. The other half is pretty sad. I, I'd say three quarters. All right, I'll, I'll give you that. But all in all, this is one of my favorites as far as a filler episode it's i wish more shows did this to just slow down and take the time to dive into some characters personal lives and stuff is is just really really nice yeah it's always good when a show does this it's almost like um it's almost like a bottle episode Mm -hmm. yeah it kind of is where it's always on one set yeah well, not necessarily that. It's This isn't all one set, but it's the idea of, a, okay, we change up the structure to explore a different avenue in the story. Mm-hmm. So kind of along those lines. Yeah. So I think for this one, we'll cover each of the short stories in the order that they happened. All right. And so the first story we see is of Toph and Katara. And just sort of... I think Katara wanting to just spend some quality time with Toph and maybe backhandedly get her clean for the first time. Yeah, I it might be a little bit of that. But I think it's mainly spending time with Katara. Mm-hmm. So we see that Katara takes Toph to an all-day spa sort of deal. And we have this funny moment before they go in where Toph says, I'm fine, as long as they don't touch my feet. And the next shot is them scrubbing her feet pretty vigorously, and a lot of dust is coming off of those feet. Because I can't remember the last time I've seen her wear shoes, so I imagine they're quite dirty. And uh, she has a, well, we'll call it an adverse reaction to that treatment, and she ends up launching one of the masseurs out into the hallway. How she wasn't kicked out of the spa after that, I do not know. <laughs> yeah, they ch- treat this as if, you know, Toph sees with her feet, and they treat this as if someone's actually scrubbing her eyes with a bristle brush. It did not look comfortable at all. <laughs> it did not. 
So Toffle's resistant to the idea a little bit at first, but she slowly relaxes into the spa day. And they come out all fancied up in makeup and everything, which is something Toph says she doesn't normally do, because why would she care about that sort of thing? She can't see. Looks don't matter to her. But she actually enjoyed the day and feels pretty. And this is where we get sort of the the lesson come to life is when these other girls who are like prim and proper, they probably live the high life every day, start making fun of Toph for wearing makeup. And I guess we're making fun of her because she's blind wearing makeup? They don't really make that clear, but I can't imagine any other reason they would target Toph. Yeah, they call her a clown because of her makeup, and I guess maybe... Toph's makeup just looked a little, like, heavy or put on. Or maybe she looked like the type of person that wouldn't wear that makeup, so that's why they were making fun of her for it. I don't know if they knew she was blind. I mean, I feel like it's pretty obvious to see with the way Toph's eyes are kind of clouded over. I don't know. I don't think, I don't think that's obvious to most people, unless they're looking directly at her eyes. But we don't really have that moment of realization. So I think the girls were just rude bullies. Mm-hmm. I, w- I wouldn't say that they were bullying her because she was blind. I think they were bullying her just because that's what they do. They don't really had a, they didn't they didn't really have a good reason to bully her. Right, and most bullies don't need a good reason. So, but and I would like to say that Toph doesn't really let it get to her, but she does enact revenge on these girls which I'm completely fine with. But I don't really know any other way to say it, but that she really doesn't let it get to her because she tells Katara that she's happy with who she is and it doesn't matter what these girls say. And I thought that was a really good lesson to pack into, what, a three-minute short? Yeah, three, four minutes. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have the exact running time, but I think there's six in total. Yeah. But just a really nice sentiment and a good bonding experience for Toph and Katara. Yeah, I agree. I enjoyed that that little short. So, next up we have Iroh. And I feel like we spend more time with Iroh on his short than some of the other ones. You know, they don't all have to be the same length, but with Iroh's you really feel that it was a little bit longer. And I liked it. Yeah, I liked it too. It's Iroh's definitely my favorite of the vignettes. Yeah, I've been looking forward to you watching this one. Uh, I I knew you were going to enjoy this story quite a bit. You were right, Landon. Yes. Because I did enjoy this one a bit. So we see Iroh, you know, at first he's buying a picnic basket for a special occasion. And then we see him just sort of being nice and helping people around the city in his area, you know, he sings a song to help a little boy stop crying. There's one moment where he gets mugged and helps the mugger, like, with a better stance to mug people better, but then talks to him about, like, you don't really seem like a mugger. What's got you down, man? And actually helps this guy figure out that he wants to be a masseur. Yeah. Essentially, he just believes in the guy. Yeah. And that's all the guy needs. Yeah, he needed some encouragement. Good guy Iroh strikes again. Yeah, 
I have to be honest, when he corrected the mugger on how to properly mug, <laughs> I thought that's that's pure Iro. Because I, I always enjoy that kind of trope mm-hmm. in movies where like like a tough old guy gets um he gets accosted by a young person trying to mug him and he's like, What your form's all wrong and it's like, <laughs> why are you holding the knife sideways? You gotta hold it straight like that. <laughs> Uh, and they'll like they'll disarm the person, take the knife. So like, all right, I want you to try again. So like here's the knife. Like I want you to try again and in- incorporate these techniques. So I, I always love that trope. I think it's really funny. Mm-hmm. And I love how Iro took that and then added a little something extra to it. Yeah, because that's Iro. And we, it, I think ultimately we just see that Iro appreciates the little things so much. We even see him, he, he just the simplest little thing where he pushes a flower back into the shade and it immediately sort of opens back up and perks up again. It had too much sunlight on it and just so gentle-hearted. So yeah, we see all these little things that Ira does in the day. And it gets to the end of the day and we find out what the special occasion was for the, the basket. And he goes to a tree on the top of a hill and the picnic is for his son, his son's birthday. His son's name is Lu Tin, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how uh, he says, "If only I could have helped you." And then he sang the song that he sung to the little boy to get him to stop crying. And that's how Iro's vignette ends. Yeah. Well, so this was something I've never really paid any attention to before. I always just remember it as him celebrating, you know, his son and it being a very sad moment. But when he says the line, I wish I could have helped you, I assume that means that, you know, his son was very much for the war and was sort of, you know, I don't know if Iroh knew it then or he just knows it now, was on the wrong side of things. Was it just because, I mean, Iroh was obviously fighting for the war back then too. Was it just that his son is no longer here, and so Iroh is capable of helping him now, but just can't? Or was it that he tried to help his son back then, and it just didn't get through? I think it could be that Lutin died, and Iroh feels guilty because... Essentially, he wasn't there to help his son. And if we look at what he's done with Zuko, and we look at everything he did in this day, he is spending all his time making sure he can help anyone and everyone that he can. Mm -hmm. So I think it's more about guilt and how he's dealing with this loss. Because we don't really know what exactly happened to Lutin. All we know is that he died, and... Iroh feels really guilty about it. So do you think it's that he wasn't there to help his son in the moment of his death? It could be that. It could be that Iroh has realized... The error of his ways? Well, that the Fire Nation's pursuit is not the noble thing it's cracked up to be. Mm-hmm. Maybe it could be that he views it where if he realized that sooner, he could have gotten out a little bit or taken his son out of it a little bit that that's my understanding of of that line that's kind of where i was more leaning to 
the real truth here is that there's a lot of honest is that there's a lot of interpretations mm-hmm. to how like if only I could have helped you like, there's really multiple ways you can take that it could be I could have helped you defend yourself I could have helped you maybe be a scholar instead of a soldier it's re- there's really a good number of ways you can take it so I don't think you can narrow it down to one thing right right all, all you can really say is well after that he like we see with Zuko like he doesn't give up on Zuko no matter what so he's always going to help Zuko and I think that comes from a place of guilt because he felt like he failed his son like he wasn't able to help him so he's going to help anyone and everyone he can mm-hmm. well a little bit of bad news I guess for fans of Iroh did you catch the in honor of Mako at the end of Iroh's vignette uh, yes, I did. Do you know what that is about? Uh, that is the voice actor for Iroh, mm-hmm. who apparently passed away in the making of season two. Right. So they had this episode be the tribute to him. Did you look it up afterwards? or? I did, yes. Yeah, uh, he fin- he's able to finish season two. I think his last voice credit is the finale of season two and after that we don't have Mako anymore but I guess something to to know and I guess this is as good a place as any to bring it up in Legend of Korra they wind up naming one of their main characters after him after Mako that's cool yes it's, it's a very nice sentiment and a good way to sort of carry carry his memory onward so next up we have Aang, and Aang's is a simple story, but it it's very Aang. It is rather Aang. Aang finds a small zoo with the animals really tightly caged up and finds out that the Daili don't support the zoo financially anymore because no one comes to the zoo to visit the animals anymore. It's not profitable. But no one comes because they the zoo doesn't have funding. So it's like a snake eating its own tail in a way. And Aang decides that he's going to help get all these animals out to this big open field outside the inner wall. And it's a bit chaotic when he does. And we see a certain someone in this chaos, which we'll get to later, I'm sure. Yes, we will. And... Ultimately, Aang is able to round them all up again using the bison whistle with, I have to imagine, enough air pressure to launch a small rocket into space. Which So apparently bison whistles are good for just about any animal if you blow hard enough. And basically, it just charges a stampede of animals outside the gate. And I really liked the line where the guy was like, talking to the guards, like, you've got to open that gate, or what? Or that! And just these massive animals come running at the gate. They're like, open the gate! (laughs) That was so great. Yeah. I think it would have been funnier with how tall that gate was, where the guards are just like, open the gate, and the people at the top are just like, what? (laughs) What? Whatever you do, don't open the gate. 
That may be an unnecessarily tall gate. I don't know. I mean, if your gate is smaller than your wall, does it do? Is it really any good to have your wall be that tall? I don't know. <laughs> and they get outside the inner gate, and Aang uses earthbending to make all new pins and everything. And this was like, this was some high level animal uh, enclosures. They had they had it nicer here than they would out in the wild. Small waterfalls and barriers separating everything, with areas to climb. It was nice. But it doesn't go completely smoothly because then we see that he also accidentally rounded up just about every domestic animal in Bossing Say as well. Some pets, cats, and other critters. Yeah, and the zookeeper says, maybe you should stick to saving people, Avatar. Yeah. But yeah, that's pretty much Aang. That's his whole story. Alright, and then the next vignette is The Tale of Sokka. I could have done without this one. <laughs> that's just me, personally. And that's because Sokka accidentally stumbles into, like, a poetry society, and he engages in a haiku battle with yes. the poetry teacher. Yes, I put in my notes, accidentally good at haiku. Yeah. So, a majority of the dialogue in this vignette is haikus. And I don't care for haikus that much. If you can do a good one, fine, that's impressive. But after a while, you kind of get bored by haikus. That's what I think, at least. I did find it funny that Sokka was slowly getting the acceptance of the society, and then he did a haiku at the end with, like, one too many syllables, and the bouncer for the haiku society takes him and throws him outside. It's like, that's one too many syllables, bud. Yes, they were very strict. So, yeah, that... That's it. That's all that happens. And there's no, like, greater lesson for Sokka. He just engages in a haiku battle. He doesn't even get, like, a girl or, like, a date or anything, which is how I thought it was going to go. But Right. Yeah, this was the shortest one by far, but of all the things they could have done with Sokka, I did think it was interesting to put him in something opposite his his immediate character. And, and it, it was an opportunity, I guess, they they used it at least as an opportunity to show that Sokka's got some brains too, you know? He was able to pick up on the haiku right away and do, I don't know what, like eight of them, no problem, before he messed up. So it's like, I don't know, it was just fun, and it, it didn't take that long. And I I just appreciate that it was something different than your typical Sokka. Yeah. And then we have Zuko. It kind of shows that he has a little bit of trouble letting his guard down, I guess. Because he this girl keeps coming into the coffee shop and his immediate assumption is that she's onto them and knows their fire nation. But Iroh is like, "Oh yeah, she's got a crush on you." You know, he's got it all figured out. And Iroh talks Zuko into going on the date. It's a very sweet little short story for Zuko 
he finally gets a chance to just relax, have a little bit of fun, go on a date with this girl. He does a nice thing for her by risking, I, I'd say everything, by using firebending to light all the torches in the uh, town square around the fountain. And they share a kiss, but I'd say the most interesting thing, and the thing I want to get into you here, is that after they kiss, Zuko runs off. He just, he leaves. And I, I want to try to understand exactly why he ran off. My guess is that he feels a little bit guilty, like he's misleading this girl, He's not, and he's not able to really be himself. Yeah, that's what I think it is. It, it's hard to say because he doesn't really explain it. All he says is, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. But I think that has to be it because he knows that if he told her that he's the Fire Nation prince, she would probably not like that very much and wouldn't want to associate with him. It might be a repeat of the Zuko Alone episode. Yeah. It's obvious that he does like her a little that he does like her a little bit. So I think this is probably the easiest way for him to just break it off with her. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't want to hurt her, but he doesn't want to mislead her. So it's it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to really pick up on because, like I said, they don't really explain it. So you're really only left to guess and offer your own interpretation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in the end, maybe he knew. I can't really speak for her because we don't really get to know her that well. But in the end, I think he knew that this wasn't like a forever thing. It was just a date. It was just a night out. And to lead her on any longer. And he, I don't know what Zuko's long game is, but I don't think it's living in Boston Say forever. But it was nice to see Zuko able to just sort of let go for a, a little while. Yeah, it was nice. And props to Iroh for being the ultimate wingman. <laughs> and then we have my favorite of these short stories, and potentially the most heartbreaking is Momo. And this one focuses on the fact that Momo misses Appa. And this is something that... If I if you ask me what our my biggest regret of our podcast is, it's that we don't talk about Momo enough because he is often used as just sort of a laugh from time to time in an episode. But something this show does really well is their animals. They really know how to capture personality through these little short funny moments with all the animals they have in the show. And Momo is a highlight of that. And this episode takes it to another level because we see he's dreaming about spending time with Appa. They found the biggest fruit tree. And he wakes up to a thunderstorm realizing it was just a dream. And he just sort of flies around Bossing Se looking for... For Appa, he sees a cloud that he thinks is him flying over. He sees a tree in the distance, which kind of a, has white flowers all over it, and from a distance it looked like Appa. And then he his uh, 
His search is put on hold when he's chased by these uh, small panthers, I guess, or jaguars of some kind. Not really a mix animal like we usually see with some of the avatar creatures. So yeah, I could only describe them as jaguars, I guess. And they chase him through the city to the point where they all get captured by some sort of animal control. And he looks like he's going to sell them to a butchery? Yeah, we don't really know. Because we we see... We see Momo's point of view for a second. So we see that, to him, humans are all just speaking gibberish. Mm -hmm. So we don't exactly know what they were going to do. I don't think it was going to be good. I think this was... This was like some next-level Pixar stuff. Yeah, you're right. It was probably a butcher or something. He literally had a cleaver and was talking to this guy like he was going to buy these animals. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty dark. Yeah, that was fairly dark. But we see Momo, no problems, able to get out of the cage. And even though these jaguars were chasing him, he decides to do the right thing and lets them out too. And the jaguars return the favor by seeing this little bit of Appa's fur that Momo tied around his wrist. And they take that and have Momo follow them and actually show Momo a clue, which I thought was very, very interesting that of all the people to get a clue, it was Momo. Which I thought was very interesting. Of all the characters to get a clue about Appa, it was Momo. And they show him a footprint and Momo just, they, they run off and leave Momo there, and he just lays down in the footprint, still missing Appa. And it's just so sad. Yep. It's really the only clue they have that Appa is embossing Say. Mm -hmm. It's this big paw print from him. At least we have confirmation that Appa is embossing Say. That's true. Other than the little bit of um, threatening we got from Long Fang, this is the only confirmation we have. So I guess Momo's going to try and tell Aang about it. I would think so. I would hope so. Like I said, for him to get the clue and no one else, like, yeah, it's it's interesting. But this was something that I think the creators didn't have to do. They did not have to highlight Momo as a character. But it's important to remember that Momo is a character. He is on Team Avatar. He's just as important as all the other ones. And this was just a brilliant use of that character. I agree. I like this vignette. I thought it was a good one to end it on, mm -hmm. the whole episode. Mm -hmm. So this episode doesn't really give us any plot development. Nothing really moves forward. It was all character work, which I really, really enjoyed. And we may or may not get some world development, I guess, depending on your definition. We do see more of Bossing Say in this, but it's all just a bunch of little things, so it's it's not like anything of consequence, I guess. But there is one thing which I know you've probably been dying to get into, and so I'm just going to hand you the reins and hang on for dear life, I guess. Wait, hang on, let me buckle up. You should buckle up, Landon. Because the cabbage salesman is in Bossing Say. How did he get in there, Landon? I mean, he was able to... He get... didn't have a ticket. No. He didn't have a passport. Wait, he was able to get in. He just wasn't able to bring cabbages with him. Well, he got the cabbages in somehow. I, I noticed. 
Well, he got the cabbages in there, and the only thing that's stopping him is a rabaroo. It's the only thing that stands in the way of the cabbage salesman and bringing down Ba Sing Se. How did he get the cabbages into Ba Sing Se, Michael? He bent the cabbages, Landon. We've been over this. He can bend cabbages. What if he did it legally? What if he got, like, some proper permits or had his cabbages inspected before bringing them in? Well, then, all the better to take down Ba Sing Se. There's a legal paperwork trail. There's nothing criminal about it, except for his intention, Landon. Oh, no, does this make me complicit? I've just given him his alibi. Yeah, I guess so. But who knows? Maybe he is rethinking his plan, because he did seem rather discouraged by the rabaroo eating his cabbages. So, so, he, the man literally breaks down and starts crying. He, like, he couldn't even finish his catchphrase, my cabbages, without saying, oh, forget it. Did you feel sorry for him at all when he started crying? I did. Because this man has had one determination to destroy Ba Sing Se and become the ultimate villain of Avatar. And he's <laughs> I swear experienced. I thought you were going to say sell cabbages. No. He has experienced setback after setback, and he is broken, Landon. And now he must redeem himself. He's not crying because his cabbages get destroyed over and over. He's crying because his plan to destroy the world keeps getting messed up over and over. Yes, Landon, exactly. It was little things, and now it's built up to where I'm being foiled by a rabaroo. Is it even worth it at this point? Yeah, the last two times he lost his cabbages, it wasn't even Aang. Well... Okay, you know what? This one kind of was Aang. He did let all the animals out. So this may be the end of the cabbage salesman. I don't know how we can move forward. His plans have been foiled too many times to count. Yes. I did agree with you that if we saw him in Boston say with cabbages after they made a big deal about it, that we should be worried. But, but it seems al- we should not be worried anymore. Alas, the Ravaru has us covered. Well... I don't know how the cabbage salesman can move forward after this. It's a very heartbreaking setback for him. I will be interested to see if and how he rallies after this one and and doesn't just give up on his cabbages outright. But until the next time, we are safe once more, thanks to the Avatar and his shenanigans. Alright, well, I think that's going to do it for us this episode. If you've enjoyed listening to us and want to help the podcast, you can tell a friend, tweet about us, leave us a review, subscribe if you're so inclined. We'd much appreciate it. And now you can email us with any of your thoughts on Avatar episodes, past and present, that we've discussed. Questions, opinions, whatever you'd like. And that email is avatarfancast at gmail.com Alright, Michael. Tell us what our next episode is about. Our next episode is Season 2, Episode 15, Appa's Lost Days. In this special episode, we go back in time to the moment Appa was stolen. I see we get an Appa Alone episode now. Yeah, that would have been a good title for this, wouldn't it? Yeah, it seems we're going to get Oppa's point of view. 
I think that'll be interesting to see. If memory serves, this is a very intense episode. Well, I am looking forward to it. These stories of Appa being gone is turning into quite the arc. And I remember you said you would have been disappointed if they'd wrapped it up too quickly. Do you feel like this is the right way to go? I think they've they've definitely taken their time with it, but they haven't been they haven't been handling it poorly. Mm-hmm. I think in all the time they've taken with it, they've handled it in a very deft manner. Where you don't really feel like they're rushing it, but you don't feel like they're taking too long either. Because mm-hmm. it's only been five episodes at yeah. this point, probably. Yeah, I think so. And the thing I like about it is it's happening in the background. It hasn't stalled the immediate plot. And the show is able to continue moving forward with what the kids needed to do anyway while still having the loss of Appa be in the background. So it's it's operating on both stories really well. All right. Join us next week for our discussion of Appa's Lost Days. Stance. You are unbalanced and you can be easily knocked over.